Hello, and welcome to episode 438 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR, and we are coming off of a team play the best plays kind of week. Yes, that's right. It all feels so easy in a week like we had in week one. We had Jalen Hurts as the clear best value at quarterback. Smash. I mean, could have had a bigger game, but still a smash. We had Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, and Joe Mixon as the top three values at running back. You know, two of them smashed. Jonathan Taylor, clearly one of the best tournament plays at running back. Smash. At wide receiver, most of the best plays showed up big. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Michael Pittman, Devontae Adams. You know, Juju was fine. Christian Kirk was good. And at tight end, Travis Kelsey without Tyree Kill in this absurd matchup slash game environment and underpriced on DraftKings, he crushed also. I mean, even defense. I was surprised, but the Dolphins were the most owned defense at 16% in the $100 Millie Maker on DraftKings. And they went off for 18 points. I mean, just insane. And when we get weeks like this, where the chalk absolutely goes nuts, when team play the best play strikes, you'll hear it from the GPP bros. Oh, wow, the chalk hit again. Wow, you know, when the chalk hits like this, I have no chance. And that's true. I think the better point, the more accurate point, though, is that when you play into the most owned players in tournaments, you don't get paid off, right? Like, it's just so hard to get into the top three in a tournament, in a GPP, which is what you need. You need to be in the top three. It's so hard to get there when you play some ownerships of 125, 130, 140%. I think the GPP bros, the good ones, understand that when the chalk fails and we eliminate 40 to 60% of the field immediately, we actually have a really good chance of getting paid off. So, you know, I, I don't want to hear it from the GPP bros, aka the, you know, I was a 3v3 away from winning the million bros. Obviously, it was a good week for cash. If you read my lineup review, it's free on the site. Hope you uh, got a chance to see it, but I was able to win about 80% of my head-to-head, so I was happy about that. Got off to a good start on the season. The first key, I think, to cash was understanding tight end pricing context. And I typically don't pay up for tight end in cash on DraftKings, but that's usually because I can find one in the 2,500 to 3K range who is very viable. But this week, all the ones I thought were viable were more like 34 to 3,700. For example, if Gerald Everett was 2,900 or 3K, I would have played him. He was 3,700. And then the other side of that coin is that Travis Kelsey was ridiculously underpriced at 6,600 in such an unreal spot. So not only did we have Kelsey about 1,000 too cheap, he's normally 74, 75, 76. We also had the punt tight ends priced up at 34, 35, 37. So after really looking at it and thinking about it, Travis Kelsey was a lock. And, and just have to take each slate one at a time. That's why DFS is so great. You know, If Travis Kelsey was 7,400 in not such a great spot, and there were some good punts at 2,500 or 2,600, and it was a tight slate, then yeah, I think not playing Kelsey would have been fine. But in this particular setup, Kelsey was the lock. And by the way, like playing cash helps you in tournaments too. Like understanding that Travis Kelsey was good chalk, I thought was important uh, for tournaments too. And that's why, you know, there's negatives, I think, to playing both GPP and cash. But I do think there are a lot of positives also. Um, other things from cash, you know, Michael Pittman was an obvious lock at 5,500. I think if you didn't play Michael Pittman, you need to reevaluate the way you look at cash lineups. Christian McCaffrey, I thought was a lock at 8,500. Obviously, it didn't work out. 
that grade. Barkley, I don't think it was a lock, but a, a near lock at 6,100. Hertz was obvious. I think the most important piece of the cash team was being willing to play Jahan Dotson as wide receiver at 3,400. And you know, it's so funny. All these morons, all these stone cold idiots who say that um, they say tracking first team usage in the preseason doesn't matter. Uh, Adam, uh, don't waste your time tracking first team usage in the preseason. That, that's a waste of time. It tells us nothing. Uh, it means nothing. Uh, it's a waste. I mean, these people are absolutely stone cold, brain dead. Obviously, you have to understand the context around everything, everything in football. You have to understand the context. You have to know what to look for and why certain things happen in the preseason. But Jahan Dotson played every single snap with Carson Wentz in the preseason. And guess what? In week one, he ran around on 40 of Carson Wentz's 45 dropbacks. Shocker, right? He played every snap with Wentz in the preseason. And then in week one, 40 out of 45 routes. Meanwhile, Traylon Burks was completely buried in the preseason. No one said he'd be buried all year. In fact, we repeatedly said the opposite, that he wouldn't be buried all year. But of course, in week one, Burks only ran 13 routes on 35 Ryan Tannehill dropbacks. Like, oh my God, no way. Who could have seen that coming? Who could have seen that Traylon Burks was barely going to play? And Dotson was going to play a ton. Shout out team preseason, right? You know, I tweeted about Mike Chisicki on Monday, as expected, just no real role in Mike McDaniel offense. And we knew this from the preseason. I mean, anybody who was paying attention in the preseason should have known Mike Jasicki was completely unstartable in fantasy in week one. And still people are like, oh, I had no idea. I started Jasicki. And every time you mention something about preseason usage now, or at least in August, the mouth-breathing dolts would just say, yeah, Adam, but, but what about Justin Jefferson? And yes, two years ago, beat writers had Justin Jefferson opening the season behind BC Johnson, which he did. But there were no preseason games that year. Reports on Justin Jefferson were still awesome. A limited offseason due to COVID. It's just not the same. So it's fine. You know, if people want to write off preseason usage because of the Justin Jefferson thing, they'll lose. They'll lose. They'll start trailing Burks and they won't play Jahan Dotson in cash. And we should be happy that we have them in our leagues. As for tournaments, yeah, it, it was not pretty for your humble King GPP bro. I had 10 GPP teams that uh, I made hand built on my desktop like an alpha. And uh, none of them scored as many points as my cash team. My best team was a Mahomes double, which I'll get into in a second. But really what I was trying to do a lot was leverage off the chalk in tournaments. So on this team, on this Mahomes double team, I played Jonathan Taylor, leveraging the Michael Pittman chalk and Christian McCaffrey chalk, played Miles Sanders, Eagles D correlation, leveraging off Jalen Hurts, played Zach Ertz, leveraging off Marquise Brown, played Sammy Watkins, leveraging off Cobb and Romeo Dubs, played AJ Dillon, leveraging off Aaron Jones, who was very, very, very owned. And then I went for the Mahomes double, which I thought was like maybe the best, regardless of ownership, the best double on the slate. The problem was I couldn't fit Kelsey. So I went Juju and MBS, and maybe that was bad. You know, it's so hard for Mahomes to go completely nuke like he did without Kelsey going nuke also. So not impossible, but just not likely. I, I just couldn't make it work with the salary. But anyways, I was happy with that team. Nowhere close to good enough though. And that's just the way it goes for GPP bros. You know, you have to have the mental fortitude that in GPPs, especially large field GPPs, you can play well and lose. You can play well and lose and lose and lose some more. And that's just way the way tournament life is. And honestly, for me, for my mental well-being, 
for my focus. There's just no way that I could like mentally sustain that. And so I mentioned some benefits of playing cash already. You know, another benefit um, is just making steady money. You know, not just understanding fragile spots and knowing what the field is going to do, but, you know, just making steady money and, and it's better for my mental state. And most importantly, I think just understand the reality that cash is more fair. If you play well and you game select well, you will win. Maybe not in the short term, but in the medium term, you will win if you're playing well. And whereas I don't know that you can say that in GPPs, you will win in the long run, but, um, you know, it could take a long time. All right. I do want to get into listener questions, but one last thing, if you want to bet sports this football season, and I'm not saying anyone should, but if you are, you better be getting the best line every time. It actually like makes me physically ill, like sick to my stomach to know that one of you out there is taking a plus three and a half when there's a plus four in the market, or you're taking under 34 and a half yards in props when there's an under 37 and a half out there. You're just absolutely positively torching money. It makes me ill. So you need to have a ton of money. You need to have money on a ton of books. And, you know, the best part of that, you know, on top of getting the best line is that you also get these absurd sign-up bonuses. It's so ridiculous. It's not going to last. All this money that books are torching and spending on customer acquisition, it's not going to last. But for now, it's so crazy. So if you go to the props and betting tab on ETR, then scroll down to the ETR Sportsbook bonus offers. You'll see the bonuses by state. Take advantage of it. All right. Enough is enough. Let's get to everyone's favorite portion of the program. The listener questions. All right. Thanks so much to everyone for all the questions. Have a ton left over here. So I'll get to about nine here today. We'll get to the rest next week. Question one is from Tuan Huang. He says, relative to the PSM model, the penis size model, where would Josh Allen rank on the all-time greats based on exhibit A from TNF? So exhibit A that Tuan attached to his note is a YouTube video that shows Jalen Ramsey down in a pile after a play then Josh Allen, like kind of humping him on top of the pile. And it looked like maybe Allen was just trying to get up and, and couldn't for whatever reason, but it looked like a thrust, you know, at least three thrusts. The bottom line is that our proprietary algorithm that fuels the PSM does not capture things like that, you know, post-play thrust. It does capture all the nerds and haters and losers hating on Josh Allen, making fun of the pick when the Bills took him, and then Josh Allen just big dicking them to be one of the best players in the league and one of the, on one of the best teams. I mean, this dude is 6'5", 237, runs with no fear, inflicts hits rather than takes them. I mean, if you really need a model to know that Josh Allen is an all-time great in the PSM, I don't know what to tell you. You know, even hashtag team watch the games, which is, you know, just an absurd team, but ha- hashtag team watch the games is on Josh Allen breaking the PSM. Question two from Tom O'Neill. He says, can you please pay Amico more so he stops tracking how much people's meals cost when dining with friends? Peasant behavior. Can you discuss this topic on the solo pod? So Tom is referring to a tweet that Amico had. Sounds like Amico went out with some of his friends. They all, they all ordered drinks and food. But Amico, he only ordered fries. So then the bill comes and they all split it. So effectively what Amico is saying is that he paid $35 even though he only ordered a basket of fries. And I get that that's tilting. I get that it's not fair. But I just can't face going line by line on the bill and everyone adding up exactly what they got. It's just, it's just too painful. You know, total Pez behavior, as Tom said. So I'd say two things. I think in the end of life, 
or by the end of life, everything evens out. You know, one day I won't be the one drinking or eating and I'll pay $35 just for fries, you know, or maybe the next time I'll run up a big bar bill um, and you'll just have fries and we'll still split it. I think it's just the right attitude to have that it will all even out in the end, right? And if these are the kind of people that you say, well, it's not going to even out. These guys are scumbags. You know, they're never going to pay for me. Well, you know, if it's not going to even out and you pay extra after you pay extra, after you pay extra, then I I don't know that I even want to hang with these pets. The second thing that I would say is that credit card roulette is the greatest game in the world. If you guys don't know what credit card roulette is, it's real simple. Everybody just puts their credit card in a hat. You let the waitress or whoever pick it out. I like the slow death version of it where you pick one out safe, next one safe, and then the last one pays. But anyways, you know, I I live to gamble, so I really do love credit card roulette, but it's a way to ensure that everything always evens out. Like, yeah, you might get stuck with a bill, but effectively everyone paid because everyone put their card in the hat. Over a big enough sample, the waitress will pull everyone's card out the same number of times. And and it's so fun. So to me, credit card roulette is like so the no-brainer. But yeah, anyways, uh, Amico is honestly one of the sharpest people that I know. Uh, He's a real grinder like me. I really do love him. And and I will be sure, Tom, uh, I'll have a chat with him about this French fry fiasco. Uh, I'm on it. Don't worry. Question three from Teshu. He says, any hope for DJ Moore this season still finishing as a top 15 wide receiver? So I got some form of this question for about 10 different players. You know, is X player who had a bad week one, is he screwed? And look, I'm not the kind of guy that just blanket says, well, you know, it's only one game. It's too small of a sample. Nothing matters. It's just one game. I I think that's the wrong way to think about week one because we learned way more in week one than we will any other week. And I don't even mean performance. You know, I mean usage. So yes, Travis Etienne outlook, I think is affected with James Robinson playing so much and seemingly healthy. You know, Kadarius Tony is clearly not liked by this staff, at least not right now. I think there's legit concerns about the way Alvin Kamara was used when he was out there week one and Jameis Winston's throw rate at running backs in general. You know, and we'll talk about every single spot like this on the team by team pods with Silva, so stay tuned for that. But as for DJ Moore, that's one that I'm not worried about. Like, we know he's good. We know he's young. We know he plays every snap. It definitely was not the best matchup against Cleveland. I think one of the better past events in the league. I think DJ Moore is going to be fine, especially since we saw and heard Matt Rule talk up the pass game so much. I think they want to try to build a throw-heavy offense, and that's obviously good for DJ Moore, so not worried there. Question four from Fat Boy FF. He says, I run a weekly contest with my buddies, 20 people and winner takes all. How closely to a cash contest should I approach making lineups for this? I get this question all the time. You know, first off, I think it's a great way to play fantasy football. If I'm being completely honest, I don't have a lot of desire at this point in my life to grind season-long waivers and trades and setting lineups. But I do think that I've kind of lost the social aspect of fantasy football, the fun of it, you know, the shit talking with your boys. And and that's really what's great. I, I, somewhere along the line, you know, I just started playing fantasy football so cutthroat and trying to eviscerate my opponents Obviously, you're going to lose some of the fun when you do that. So I I love the idea of something in between, you know, Uh, play DFS against the same crew every week, but you don't have to deal with all the trades and waivers nonsense. As for strategy in something with 20 people, it's all about your opponents. You know, if they're grinding, if they have no cock left from grinding so hard, then I'd be trying to be slightly contrarian. And if they're all playing cash lineups, then you need to be 
the right cash lineup, then they need to be, you need to be slightly contrarian. But chances are they're just making lineups on their phone while taking a shit, in which case I would just run my cash lineup. And maybe I would force a stack if it's a good one. Like, for example, in week one, you could run the cash team you like with Hurts at quarterback, but make sure you play A.J. Brown or Dallas Goddard. Not both, but but one of A.J. Brown or, or Dallas Goddard. And other than that, just play the best plays. I, I think that's likely best. Question five from Greg Talbot. He says, how do you decide which content to provide for free versus behind the paywall? The free stuff has to be good enough to draw people in, but it can't be better than behind the paywall. Yeah, it's not an exact science. I mean, by far, by a mile, our number one goal is to make sure that people who have subscribed are getting value. Like that's just always the most important thing. If people find value in what they're getting, we'll be fine and we can feel good about all our work, which is the most important thing. So that's the number one priority. As for free stuff, really just trying to have fun with it. You know, pods like this, you know, streams, streams of us, you know, fucking around doing drafts. Just try to reach more people by by showing that we really, really grind hard on this stuff and we know the most about projecting NFL, NBA, golf, but also that we can convey it easily and, and we can entertain to some degree. So yeah, I'm not too worried about, you know, the free stuff once the season gets going. We'll still have plenty of free shows like the team by teams with Silva, select showdown shows, which I think are are super valuable. But I'd say roughly 90% of our content in season is for subscribers. Question six from Preston. He says, what is the GTO usage of ETR and allocating time for roster construction when you are a senior in college and Wisconsin traditions require you to be inebriated the entire weekend? Sunday morning wake up until kickoff just doesn't seem to cut it. What would you do, Father Levitan? Yeah, this is a good question uh, and a good lesson for you, young Preston. Life is about trade-offs and priorities. There's just never going to be enough time for everything you want to do in life. I hope. I think if you're, if you're doing life right, there's just never enough time to do everything you want to do. Um, when I was in college, was I out drinking and fucking all the time? No, I, I was doing very important things like bong hits and completing my season in FIFA 2002. No, I, I, I'm joking. What, what I really was doing was grinding, man. You know, I was playing poker. I was betting sports, you know. Um, as for DFS in college, look, I, I do think that if you wake up Sunday morning by 9.30, 10 a.m. Eastern, and you give yourself a good three hours to make three good teams, our content is designed for that. You can look at top plays for cash. You can look at projections and ownership for tournaments and GPP game scores and leverage. You know, you can watch the two shows that we have Sunday morning. I, I think you can make three good teams. A better question though, young Preston, is should you be really should you really be trying to grind while you're in college? Like it's one thing to just throw some lineups in DFS, try to have fun, get a sweat. I think trying to grind and win is a different story. And as I get set to win, uh, as I get set to turn 40 years old here in about, God, uh, 10 days, it's an interesting question to reflect on. You know, would I have, would I have had more quote unquote fun in college if I had smashed 10, 12, 90 ice cans against my forehead four nights a week and danced, aka grinded, you know, on some poor co-ed, would, would that have been more fun? Maybe, you know, maybe to some people, but I, I really have no regrets and it's hard in life sometimes to know what makes you happy, not what society deems should make you happy. Like I derive happiness from playing high stakes head-to-head -head matches in DFS. 
I love playing live poker. Like I love looking through results or, or hand histories and, and trying to figure out what went wrong. I like that stuff more than drinking, more than dancing. And so even though society says as a 20 year old at Penn state or at Wisconsin, that's a crazy thing to say. Like, I don't really care. So anyway, that's a long way of saying, man, you're only in college once you can always play DFS seriously later. You know, you can't always go to college later and be with your boys with zero responsibility. So if you enjoy, if it makes you happy to spend your time drinking rather than grinding, I, I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with that. So good luck, young Preston. Have fun out there. Question seven from friend of the show, Josh ADHD. He says, what do you miss most about the East Coast since moving away? Easy answer, the food. I mean, I would say literally the only thing. I would say everything is better out here in the Mountain West except the food. The one thing I'd say on that is that a lot of people don't use comps correctly when talking about food. For example, we lived in downtown Philly, you know, right at the Italian market. Literally one of the best food areas in the entire world. Um, you know, Philly has a ton of problems, but the food is, is unreal good. In the city, in the city, the food is unreal good. And actually, before I left or right when I was leaving, somebody asked me to list all my favorite places, favorite restaurant type stuff in Philly. And I did that. Um, and I think people enjoyed it. Um, now, though, we're out in the burbs, out in the suburbs by Denver, and everyone bitches about the food. But you can't compare the city to the burbs. You know, that's not fair. If you went to the burbs in Philly, it would be the same slop. You know, the best restaurants would be, you know, Maggiano's and Chili's and, and Jersey Mike's. And so out here in the Burbs, we never go to the city. I hardly ever uh, go downtown. So, of course, the food in the suburbs sucks. You know, I, I've found a couple of places I actually like, but it's mostly not great, just like all food in the Burbs. I, I think there's probably some decent food in Denver downtown, certainly not as good as, as Philly, but yeah, I'm just not going to experience that that often. You know, when we moved to the Burbs, I said, all my future tweets will come from the Olive Garden, my kid's soccer game, or while I'm mowing the lawn, you know? Just is what it is. Question eight from Chris Riley. He says, if playing low stakes volume of cash sub $250, are you trying to get more head-to-head -head action? Are you trying to get more head-to-head -head action? Or are you putting lineups into single entry double ups? Now, hopefully all of you read my game selection article. It's free on the site under Evergreen in the DFS tab. I really think it's the most important thing to get a handle on before playing any DFS really. As for Chris's specific question, if it was me, I would still mix it. Like, if I wanted to play 250 in cash, I'd probably play 150 in head-to-heads and 100 in low-dollar, large-field, single-entry double-ups. That gives you the binary outcome of the double-up to grow your role faster, but also smooths out the variance with a lot of head-to-heads. I, I should say that for me personally, I would probably play it all in head-to-heads. That's only for me because I get such insane head-to-head -head action. Like, Everyone wants to play the pseudo-celebrity Adam Levitan. You know, Mike Hall is a pseudo-stir. But I get that's not for everyone. Not everyone gets the action I get. And you need to evaluate that for yourself. Are people showing up with total dust for you in your head-to-heads? This past week, for example, if they didn't play Pittman, Hertz, or Lamar, Saquon, um, you know, Saquon or, or CMC, Kelsey, you probably want their action going forward, right? And so it's important to understand what kind of action you're getting. Last question, question nine comes from Ivan, Ivan Martinez. He says, after the vasectomy procedure you've undergone, have you been able to raise your POE pumps over expectation to the level you were able to while having condomed intercourse? Let me read that one more time. 
Ivan said, after the vasectomy procedure you underwent, have you been able to raise your POE pumps over expectation to level you were able to while having condom intercourse? So Ivan brings up a great point here that I think everyone kind of glosses over in this discussion. It's all part of the equation when deciding whether to undergo the vasectomy. Everything about condoms sucks, clearly. You know, it's not spontaneous. It's a pain to carry around. The, the, the episodes buying them at the store can be humiliating. I, I mean, a ton of other things I, I'm, I'm not going to share here. It, it sucks. Condoms suck. But the one good thing, uh, a lot of good things. I mean, uh, you know, not getting pregnant. But the one good thing is that you can really push your PPM, your pumps per minute to the max. I mean, absolutely redline it. And your POE, your pumps over expectation, that won't suffer. So if you did one of those scatter plots, you know, that with, with PPM on one axis and POE on the other axis, the cluster of uncondom results would be in the middle, you know, a huge cluster of them in the middle. Some outliers, of course, but all bunched up. But then in the far upper right quadrant of the plot, you'd have these condom intercourse results. So yeah, I'd say, you know, that's probably the only negative from the vasectomy. I feel back to 100%, I think, although there's always something in the back of my head that's like, since the procedure, I'm not stretching as far, my volume is down, et cetera. But I think that's got to be in my head because I think I'm fine. I think, uh, I hope. All right, that is going to do it for the first solo pod of the 2022 NFL season. I'll be back later today with Silva for the team by team pods where we will recap everything we saw in week one and start looking forward to week two. Be sure you are subscribed to YouTube and or anywhere anywhere you're listening to this on the podcast so you don't miss it. For Jerry, for Producer Jackson, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm -hmm.